Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 105 of TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host and THR's chief TV critic, Dan Feinberg. Dan, how you holding up this week, my friend? It's been chilly in Los Angeles this week, Leslie. I know our listeners don't love it when we talk about politics or baseball, so I feel like it's a good idea to lead by talking about the weather. And it's been darn cold. I mean, it got into the lower 40s, I think, on Monday. That's crazy. It got into the 30s here in Burbank. So, yeah, this is fascinating, Dan. It is. I see. I'm giving our listeners what they didn't know they wanted or else showing our listeners that what they do want is more politics and baseball and less weather. Yes. Or we could talk about those Netflix ratings and how Bridgerton is Netflix's most watched show ever if you just only take into account two minutes of viewing. As I say every single time we do this, I have zero doubt that Bridgerton is a hugely popular show for Netflix. I Likewise. do not doubt that at all. I've seen the TikTok musical numbers. I've seen the way people talk about that show. There is no question that that show is wildly successful but I have no ability to make any sense, nor do I have any desire to make any sense of whatever the bleep 82 million people watching 15 seconds is about. But we talked about this in completion rates last week, and I still have the same completion rate humor that I'm going to do if, if we <laughs> carry on if we carry on for much longer. So I think we should probably get to this week's headlines. Leading off this week's headlines with renewal news, 80 Bryant comedy Shrill will end with its third season on Hulu. The Bold Type will conclude with an abbreviated fifth season on Freeform. NBC is bringing back James Spader drama The Blacklist for a ninth season. Nine seasons, Dan. And Fox has picked up reality competition series I Can See Your Voice for a second run. I am both incredulous that The Blacklist has had eight seasons and vaguely incredulous that I Can See Your Voice is a TV show that exists. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> On the casting front, uh, Neil Gaiman's big-budget Sandman adaptation at Netflix has cast Tom Sturridge, Gwendolyn Christie, and Charles Dance. Dylan McDermott will star opposite Chris Maloney on NBC's Law & Order spinoff Organized Crime. And Demi Lovato will star in a scripted comedy about food issues that is in development at NBC. And speaking of development, Michael Hurst is teaming with the F. Scott Fitzgerald estate to develop a big budget take on The Great Gatsby for television. Hillary and Chelsea Clinton are adapting the female Kurdish militia drama The Daughters of Kobiani for television. 
LeBron James and HBO are adapting the third season of Serial as a scripted drama. Seth MacFarlane is adapting 2017 bestseller All Are Wrong Todays for Peacock. And Grey's Anatomy star Ellen Pompeo is executive producing an ABC limited series based on the best-selling Paradise book series. On the showrunner's front, HBO has tapped Philippa Goslett to replace Joss Whedon as showrunner on the upcoming drama The Nevers. And in library news, Modern Family will make its full series streaming debut on both Hulu and Peacock in a shared deal that will bring the Emmy-winning comedy to both platforms three years ahead of time. Very interesting deal on on that one with details over on THR.com for those who are interested in that kind of in-the-weeds deals. Finally, a little PSA. If last week you responded to my very, very, very strong podcast recommendation of the French drama Lupin, uh, it will be back in the summer with five new episodes. So don't worry about where the first five episodes left you. A little bit cliffhangery, but it'll be back fairly soon. Yeah, Dan, I my wife and I binged it as soon as we heard your recommendation and it did not disappoint. We watched the whole thing in two nights. It was tremendously it's, great. It's simply a ton of fun. And so even people who are all reticent about, oh, I don't like reading my TV shows or, oh, it requires more attention than I'm willing to put in to read or my French ain't what it used to be. Um, yeah, it, it, come on. This this is really it's just a heist show. You know, it's it's a darn good heist show, but it is straight up fun for five episodes. And I'm really looking forward to more. So and, and you can turn off the subtitles and turn on the English dub. If you no, want, if that's no, 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 no. Thumbs down on that one for me. But on the other hand, read your TV. But it's a lot of fun. And reading has never been so much fun. I, that's anyway. It's <laughs> elementary. <laughs> well, let's get into this week's five topics. What do you say, Dan? Bring it on. Number one. Well, this just in, releasing a tentpole on a streaming service helped bolster HBO Max's fourth quarter subscriber gains. The Warner Media backed streamer ended the year with more than 17 million activated users, twice the number it had at the start of the fourth quarter. In all, HBO Max now has 37.7 million total subscribers. That's up almost 10 million since the start of September. Dan, go figure. Wonder Woman and a Roku deal actually helped bring in new subscribers. I'm still confused, though, by what this all means in terms of subscribers. I mean, am I a subscriber just because I get it because I subscribe to, well, HBO on my cable system? Does that make me an HBO Max subscriber? I... That's where the term activated subscribers comes ah, in, Dan. OK, hence going to the HBO Max dot com slash activate page so that I can watch it on my Apple TV. That is me activating my subscription. Excellent. Then I'm an HBO Max subscriber. Huzzah. Huzzah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know where the it's it's the confusion of where the numbers come from in, in all of these. I mean, we are, we're confused about where the numbers come from and everything. Numbers are confusing, kids. Just several seconds ago, I was talking about how reading was confusing. Now we're on to numbers being confusing. Apparently, I am feeling really anti-intellectual this week. Uh, we, we, need, we need to go back to pictures. <laughs> I mean, we could go back and, and talk about the Peacock subscribers and how many of those are free versus paid, but they don't break that out, which is more math. So, yeah, it's it's confusing and it's confusing with all of them and it's confusing with all of the different tiers, you know, so we so, yeah, as you say, Peacock has all of its tiers. Hulu has its various tiers for whatever it's worth. HBO Max, at least, is sort of one number that's central for now. But yeah, but they're going to launch an ad supported service. So, yeah, that's going to be yet another one where, unfortunately, it's going to be a few extra bucks. And just because I, I don't feel like dealing with commercials. So, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, but. 
elsewhere at HBO Max while we're on the subject, they've had a really busy week on the development side. We're starting to see plans for kind of the next wave of what this service will be, especially under the executive regime led by Casey Bloys, who also oversees the premium cable network. So to no surprise, HBO Max's and, and Warner Media are leaning into some of their biggest intellectual property, Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. This week, news broke that there is a Harry Potter live action series in early development. That was a, a THR exclusive that we broke over on the site. And look, we're not saying that there's a deal. There are no deals. But meetings with writers are already happening and have been happening for some time. Plans for a Harry Potter show are in the works. Obviously, they're going to decline comment because there are no deals to confirm. But the, there are meetings happening. I've got, we've got so, multiple sources saying that that's that's in the works. So, yeah, it's it's not a surprise when you think about it, because Harry Potter is one of Warner Media's biggest pieces of IP. And the second you've got DC, there's we've already talked at length about how they're, they're doing a big budget Green Lantern and they've got Justice League Dark from J.J. Abrams and a ton of other originals for HBO Max. And then you lean into Game of Thrones and news broke in the last couple of weeks now that there are big plans to expand the franchise. Rumors of a Dunkin Egg live action series based on George R.R. R. Martin's novellas. And as THR broke this week, an animated drama that has the same tone as the, as the original flagship also among the ideas being kicked around. Lots going on. And meetings are, are happening with writers on the animated show, too, which is super interesting. It makes sense. I, I mean, if you if you look at what there was the whole very large uh, Disney Plus uh, investor day where they went over the literally dozens of Star Wars and Marvel original properties that they're having. Uh, so that's how you build out a streaming brand. It's you look over at CBS All Access and you look at what they're doing with Star Trek and it doesn't feel like it's quite as successful, but I guess we haven't necessarily seen what it's going to look like when Disney Plus actually does have five or six or seven of these Star Wars things going at the same time. It's it's one thing when what you have is Baby Yoda or WandaVision and people can concentrate and focus on that. There has been no dilution of those brands. I mean, it's not new news either. Look at what AMC has done with The Walking Dead and even with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. It's the same concept just to build up a streaming service as everyone prioritizes that right now. But it's still so tenuous as to what the right time to build the brand is, because obviously Fear the Walking Dead has had a long run and it, it, it is successful in its own right. It has been an uphill climb creatively. It's gone through many different permutations and cast changes and tone changes. A couple showrunners, yeah. And showrunners. And I don't get the impression that, you know, it's obvious on a ratings level, it's very clearly not anywhere near what the original was. And it's I don't get the feeling that there's anywhere near the conversation on it. So it's not exactly the quote unquote right time. You look at Game of Thrones. How much more excited would you have been if two thirds of the way through the show, someone had told you, "Ooh, you're about to get a Dunkin' Egg show, an animated throne show, several prequel shows. Everyone would have been like, yay. Instead, it comes at the end of the series when people I don't want to say people have turned on Game of Thrones. That would probably be wrong. There will be some interest when these come. But the anticipation is not the same. Right. But it's HBO is not the same as it was in, even in 2019 when Game of Thrones ended, let alone midway through its start. Game, HBO had never done a spinoff or a sequel or revival 
Right. And what was the, the, the movie that they brought back? The Western with Timothy Oliphant? I can't remember the name of it. Deadwood, Leslie. Deadwood. Thank Deadwood. you. I'm sorry. I'm not a Deadwood fan. It's fine. I've never seen it. That's why it's just not in my brain. But, you know, that was a big deal because that showed HBO, hey, we're willing to go back. We're going to bring bring this back and, and do an end, you know, and now you're doing that with Game of Thrones and they're doing it with Sex in the City. It, it's, you know, look, if you take one thing away from listening to TV's top five, I hope that it's that IP is cheaper to market and can bring in a pre-existing fan base to a streaming service at a time when all of these conglomerates are prioritizing streaming services. I, I can put that on repeat, Dan. It's like the same as like Netflix doesn't release ratings. It's the same idea. You're building up and you're leaning into what people care about most. And if you can sneak in a, an original series that that cuts through the flight attendant, more power to you. Consider that a blessing, but that's not a guarantee. It's incredibly hard to cut through with an original series. So that's why you're seeing, you know, oh, Hollywood's out of ideas. No, it's not that they're out of ideas. It's that they know what works. It goes a little bit on on both counts. I think it does go both ways. But certainly what is dead may never die. And uh, things things come back. Brand names come back. We talk about it all the time. Things get rebooted. Three things get remade. Things get restarted. The terminology is a a horrible mess. And I I've kind of surrendered on that meaning. And if anyone knows me, and knows my peccadillos on things like getting pissed off at people for misusing, begging the question or something. I am not the first person who surrenders when terminology changes, but uh, remake, reboot and revival. I have kind of thrown up my hands in the air on what any of that means. So I know there are people who have very, very set in stone versions on what each of those things mean. Spin-offs, et cetera, et cetera. I, I kind of have lost that particular thread and I feel bad about it because I do like having terminology that has meaning, but we've pretty much killed words. Right. But then you've also got a lot of these streaming companies, like if you could say, oh, Pretty Little Liars is getting a, a you know, a, a remake at HBO Max, you're going to probably get pushback from PR at some point. Well, it's not a, a remake. It's not the same characters. It's new people. It's maybe it's a they're revisiting the franchise. You're reviving the franchise for a new audience. Uh, you know, it, it, it's six, one half a dozen on the other. Anyway, we will continue to cover all of these issues in depth. Number two. Up second, in sad news, the TV world has lost three icons this week with the passing of CNN staple Larry King, comedic genius Cloris Leachman, and Emmy and Tony winner Cecily Tyson. All three passed this week. It just... I'm struggling for for words here because as we were recording this, the Cecily Tyson news just broke and it's just it's too much at once and it's too soon. Her memoir just came out like two days ago. Dan, this is the hits just keep coming. It's like 2020 plus all over again. These were these were three icons who who lived beyond full lives. I, I don't think you could I don't think you could ever hope to live a life where you were doing the kind of work really all three of them were doing until the very end. I mean, you look at the work that Cicely Tyson has done in the past five or, or 10 years, and it's was some of the best work of her entire career. She, she was nominated for Emmys for uh, how to get away with murder. She had a, uh, Broadway triumph and the trip to Bountiful. 
Uh, she was just giving tremendous performances really right up until the end. Uh, Cherish the day. She was at press tour for that last January. I, I mean, and, and you know, held court on a panel because who wouldn't want to just watch Cecily Tyson emote and discuss for 25 to 30 minutes. Uh, so that's that's what I'm looking at this as is these are three triumphant lives and three greats. And so we definitely wanted to make sure that we honored them because in this medium that we cover, they are among the best to ever do it. <laughs> Yeah, they're TV Hall of Famers. I mean, each in their in their own right. You know, I, I, I the the tributes for Cecily Tyson are, are starting to pour in, and um, as we record, and you know, there's one, you know, there's so so many great things about Cecily Tyson. Uh, just because this is obviously so fresh right now, she obviously refused to play drug addicts and prostitutes in roles that that demeaned black women. She set a bar and she set a bar very early in her career and she stuck to that. You know, like I, I'm looking on, on Twitter as, as we're recording this and, and our colleague Chris Gardner is tweeting stories here like at a TV Hall of Fame event, Shonda Rhimes, who, of course, cast her in How to Get Away with Murder, which she exec produced for ABC, um, was just saying just so many wonderful things about her and and. You know, even Shonda just tweeted, you know, please let this not be true. And it's just, you know, there's we are losing our icons. And at a time when it's just we need them the most, you know, the the work is not done, as as we all say. So, no, that, you know, looking at, at Cecily Tyson's career, it's, you know, it's it's six or seven or eight decades of spectacular work. You you go back and you look at her earliest credits. I, I love uh, looking at at pictures and looking at reviews from uh, an off Broadway play called The Blacks, which uh, which ran in the 1960s, and the cast of that show included Cecily Tyson, Maya Angelou, James Earl Jones, Louis Gossett Jr., Godfrey Cambridge. That is that is an unreal company to be in, and you just trace through. Her performances, uh, the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman is a, a TV movie landmark, and it is one of the great TV movie performances of all time. Um, you look at her movie work like like Sounder, you look at more TV stuff like, you know, Roots is freaking iconic, obviously, and she in it is iconic. And like I said, the, the work she was doing in recent years was just unbelievable. And it was remarkable because everyone had to comment and go, well, I mean, God, look at how much work she's doing. And she's she's 91. She's 92. Look at what she did opposite Viola Davis in those episodes of How to Get Away with Murder. That is a show that I stopped watching because, uh, you know, it just was it was a lot. It was too much to keep up with would be the the simplest way to put it. But I would tune into a lot of those episodes when she popped up because being able to watch those actors interact, that's that's why that's why you watch any sort of filmed entertainment is if 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 you can have a scene with Cicely Tyson and Viola Davis, 
it doesn't even matter what else is in the episode. It doesn't matter what else is in the series. Whatever other legacy How to Get Away with Murder has, putting those two women on screen a half dozen or ten times is <laughs> enough of a legacy. And yeah, just the the press tour panel for Cherish the Day is one that, you know, just sticks in my memory because of what an opportunity it was for people to genuflect in front of a remarkable person and a remarkable person who was respected by everyone who shared the screen with her, but also was respected by the room of TV critics who got to watch, again, six, seven decades worth of remarkable performances among the best that ever were and among the best that ever were for the entire duration of a remarkable career. I mean, you you just you're just not supposed to be as good and as consistent throughout as as she was and as powerful and as indelible on the screen in in every second just searing her performance in in those how to get away with murder episodes and, and you know this is this is how to get away with murder that we're talking about here it's a it's an abc um you know twisty it's a it's yeah, it's a whodunit that stretched on for yeah. a very, very and, prolonged number but whatever, of seasons. But whatever that show was or wasn't, when she was on it, it was the best show on TV for those five or six minutes per episode because you could watch her doing her thing. And that's that's amazing. So. So, yeah. yeah. And then you also have some great stories, too, about Cloris Leachman. Uh, right, and, and another performer, you, you go back and look at what Cloris Leachman was doing as recently as five or six years ago on Raising Hope on Fox. And um, that show, which was a, which was a good show also. It, but you would watch that and just watching the things that Cloris Leachman got away with doing on that show and the things that they took such joy in letting her do um you know, she became an iconic comic performer and you go back and you you look obviously at Young Frankenstein, which is one of the great all time comedy performances. And then you look at the Mary Tyler Moore show and just one show after another, even again, once again, a little bit like Cecily Tyson, you, you know, she pops up on How to Get Away with Murder. You have to watch um, those episodes of Malcolm in the Middle that Cloris Leachman popped up on over the years, those it suddenly became the funniest show on TV. And it was a good show otherwise, obviously. But when she was on it, she elevated it. She elevated everything around her. Um, and, and this is a woman who was also as good a dramatic actress as there was. She won an Oscar for The Last Picture Show, which is a great performance in a great movie. Uh, she became more of a comic performer over the years because she was so good at it. And when she passed, it was notable to see how every single TV critic I follow had a story of interviewing Cloris Leachman because the remarkable thing about interviewing Cloris Leachman was to be reminded that of all of the wacky parts that she played in her career, Cloris Leachman was probably as wacky as any of them. She would never let you do the interview that you wanted to do. And there were times in the later years of Raising Hope where Fox would do an annual interview junket day and I would go into the thing going, this time I'm going to sit down with Cloris Leachman and it's going to be the dullest interview ever. I'm going to ask her serious questions. She is going to give me serious answers and it's going to be exactly point by point. We're going to stick to business. Never worked. 
never happened. So everyone has these stories of her popping up. There's a strange bungee swing at the Santa Monica Pier. People have pictures of her at like 80 bouncing up and down on the bungee swing or uh, going on the roller coasters at the Santa Monica Pier. I love telling the story of being in the buffet line at a press tour uh, lunch and turning around for a second and getting a Diet Coke and then seeing when I turned back the other way that Cloris Leachman was sneaking around and salting my deviled eggs. Why was she doing that? Because she wanted to do that and because she knew it was the kind of thing that we expected of her. She would interrupt an interview that she was doing to go sit at a piano at a bar just because she loved entertaining people. Um, so, yeah, and if you, and if you look at these two remarkable women – so much of what you have to point to is obviously their professionalism and their work ethic. You do not have the careers that those people have over the decades and decades and decades that they have them. If everyone on set doesn't love having you there, if everyone on set isn't learning from you at every single second. So we're currently seeing all the tributes from Cecily Tyson's co-stars. And yesterday we saw it with Cloris Leachman's. We saw People like Greg Garcia, who created uh, Raising Hope, posting a picture of her coming up behind him and licking the back of his neck during production on that show. Those were just the kinds of things that she did. And yes, she would break up an interview and she would go off script and all of that. But obviously, when the cameras were rolling, she gave everyone what they wanted and Cicely Tyson as well. It just this is this is a generation of people who who grew up working, you know, who who grew up feeling like this was this was something that you did as a job and that you worked hard and you worked well and you worked consistently and you look at the credits and you know those those women did not take <laughs> did not take time off. They they worked every opportunity they could and yeah, just just amazing performers and amazing performers really until the end and you know, that's that's sort of the category that that Larry King goes in as well. Not quite as old as as Cecily Tyson and Clarice Leachman, but still someone with five, six decades of building up a career of building up a roster of interviews that make it so that anybody almost in American or world history in the past 50 years who you wanted to see an interview with. Larry King got there and just amazing longevity, amazing respect for the profession. Yeah, like, like you said, it's it's a generation and it's a generation of of the absolute greats. And yeah, given that what this is what we do and this is the medium we cover, these are these are titanic figures and uh, the body of work, the body of work will always be there. And no one will ever say that uh, that Cecily Tyson, that Cloris Leachman, that Larry King didn't get and give a tremendous amount of joy and substance. So, yeah, just uh, honor, honor the work and honor the memories, I would say. And, and cherish them while they're here. Indeed. Number three. Up third, has the pandemic caught up to TV's premiere calendar? February is around the corner and glancing at the TV schedule, it's a pretty lackluster lineup of new and returning shows coming up, Dan. 
it is definitely we're we're beginning to see what was probably inevitable and of course it was inevitable there was there was going to be a a slowdown and not only was there going to be a slowdown but there was going to be a time in which the networks and streamers were going to have to perform a little bit of triage there were going to have to be choices there was no way that netflix was going to have five original dramas documentary series and comedies premiering every single weekend you look at this particular weekend Netflix does have a couple movies and they have uh, We Are the Brooklyn Saints, but it's a pretty quiet weekend, the kind that Netflix really didn't have in 2020. And everybody is going through this. You you look at what the February premiere lineup is, and that's not to say that there aren't good things premiering in February. There are, but... Um, yeah, you, where, you, where are all the high-profile streaming debuts? Where are the awards players? You know, like well, I'm, you know, I'm going to run down a couple of these, but Firefly Lane, Ginny and Georgia, and then the, and then the Kevin James comedy, The Crew, launch on Netflix this month. CBS has Clarice and The Equalizer, the latter launching after the Super Bowl. NBC has its long gestating comedy Keenan and the Dwayne Johnson comedy Young Rock. For All Mankind, one of Apple's first originals, returns for its second season. Amazon launches Tell Me Your Secrets, which was in development for like five or six years at TNT and just transferred over to the streamer last year. The CW bows Superman and Lois. And then you've got Punky Brewster on, on Peacock uh, returning shows some, some big heavyweights here last week tonight with John Oliver snowfall on FX queen sugar on own. And then ABC has American idol. But, but you know, I, as someone who's not very, who doesn't pay much attention to the awards calendar, I wonder how much of this is because of the pandemic and how much of this is where do the, where's the cutoff for some of these shows that have to premiere to be eligible? You know, are we out of that window? Are we in that window? And, and things have gotten screwy, but yeah, it's, it's kind of bleak. Again, I, I think that you will be able to find a couple shows each week. You know, some of those things you just listed, I'm I'm looking forward to. I would like for some of those things to be good. Some of the things that you just mentioned, I already know I loved. So I'm psyched to have last week tonight back. Um, right. But Firefly Lane, while it could be cute and could catch could likely catch on for at Netflix, you're telling me that that is is that something that's going to be an awards player is that their version is that an ex is you know you see what i'm trying to say here dan oh, but for sure no there's and i think and i think a lot of these are almost practically designed to be less this is the big ticket we need to put things on billboards it's going to win emmys whatever kind of entries and more the we would like to believe that this is going to catch on and maybe become a word of mouth hit so something like uh God, whatever is a Virgin River, whatever that the Netflix heartwarming show that everyone talks about, but that Netflix has never really made any effort to get critics to review. And that's totally fine because it, you know, was never going to get rave reviews. It's just a show that they know will catch on. And yeah, I think it's like that it's a, like a, ha a Hallmark show, but made for Netflix. And, and I think that probably Firefly Lane and Ginny and Georgia look like they're roughly the same thing. They're probably not going to be TCA award winners. But on the other hand, audiences and especially there are still audiences that are in quarantine that are looking for turn off your brain, maybe cry a little, maybe laugh a little heartwarming shows. And there is a place for that. And I oh, think for sure. I can't wait to check out Ginny and Georgia. 
I am looking forward to you telling me if I need to check it out myself. Uh, something like The Crew, that is not going to win Emmys. I, I don't know how to break this to Kevin James. But on the <laughs> other hand, is there a place for a broad Kevin James comedy in the world, especially one with a, a NASCAR backdrop and all of that? Is there an audience for that? Of course. there. 100 percent. So totally. And and a lot of these shows are coming out this month are like that, you know, they're, but they're still the big ticket things. You know, the look at Clarice and the Equalizer on the CB, on CBS. Those are those are brands. The Equalizer brand is a little bit screwy and confused. I don't know whether people think of it as being a fairly long running TV show or a multi movie Denzel Washington film franchise or just a really, really catchy um brand name that doesn't have any particular meaning so you can just stick it with anything i don't know uh clarice clarice is a true mystery of branding because it's the latest thing from the thomas harris literary universe but it has access to a character name that hannibal never had access to but it doesn't have access to the character name of hannibal it's so it's a strange piece of who owns what and who can sell what on what brand does the name clear? Yeah. It's, and it's I will say, odd. you know, I listened into the CBS TCA day and the panel for, for Clarice and um, exec producer Alex Kurtzman mentioned that they didn't feel like this was uh, the Hannibal Lecter story. That's, you know, he as he said, that story has been told and told well. And this is the Clarice show. And we'll, we'll probably have more of that coming up uh, next month for uh, in our showrunner spotlight. Indeed, and I will certainly have a review of uh, Clarice as well in our Critics Corner. So, yeah, lots of stuff. And then there are the things that are just pandering straight to nostalgia. Uh, you know, a, a Peacock reboot of Punky Brewster. That is that is where that is going. There, we, If you have a sweet spot in some internal organ for Punky Brewster, that's what that is there for. And Leslie is currently on our, yes. our video thing, nodding her head aggressively. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but Superman and Lois on the CW is roughly the same thing. These are important shows for their respective net networks. But but I think my question for you, Dan, is do any of these feel like the big tentpole TV series premiere that would generate a lot of interest across the spectrum? I think some of them could. I, I You know, look, you, you put Dwayne Johnson and in the Young Rock on NBC, that is potentially a wide-reaching show. Potentially. Who knows? Um, Dwayne Johnson, he's a big deal. So that's that's a big piece of branding. But no, if if you look at it, and if you look at recent headlines involving premiere dates, I think there's a pretty clear sense that February, it was simply determined, was for the most part not going to be where big shows were going to go. But on the other hand, you've been reporting a lot on shows that are premiering in in April. And it looks like April could potentially be a much bigger thing. Yeah, it, it does seem obviously with the, the late start of production and, and uh, so many of these shows coming out, it, whether it be a couple in September and then going on hiatus, et cetera. Um, January typically is a big mid-season launch pad. It feels like a it really feels like April is becoming the new mid-season this year. Some premiere date news that broke this week, April uh, launches include Chuck Lorre, who will uh, his new comedy, United States of Al. He will own all of CBS's Thursday real estate come April. ABC is rejiggering its lineup to come April, giving Grey's Anatomy and Station 19 showrunner Krista Vernoff her entire night with the debut with the debut of her Aaron Brockovich inspired drama Rebel. 
bumping a million little things back to Wednesday and then slotting the debut of Topher Grace comedy Home Economics. So it does feel like April is starting to be the new midseason. But then you're also kind of, you know, the other piece of that is wondering, you know, we we're reading so much about shows that that have either stopped production because of a positive covid test or had production delayed because of a, you know, an because January was just a complete and total shit show in LA in terms of COVID. But the other pieces too, is, you know, I'm hearing so much about shows that had false positives and shut down just in case, you know, this is us has shut down a few times, even though all of the positive tests came back as false positives. So that still delays everything. And now the, the question becomes is, can you keep these shows going with their traditional episode count or will those get shorter? So will a lot of these broadcast networks specifically need these midseason launches in April to to fill the gaps of shows that couldn't film the entire episode order because of various shutdowns and delays. It remains it it remains, Dan, it feels like a, a puzzle that you're trying to put together without all the pieces. Oh, it, it very much is it, this. And this used to be the most orderly part of the schedule. It You know, you, you used to know. You used to know February sweeps. You used to know May sweeps. You used to know mid-season premieres. You used to know things will end in mid-May. You used to know upfronts would be announced and all of the schedules would be announced. You used to have these senses of what the North Star in the industry was. And the business was already shifting away from that. But definitely everything that has taken place in the last 11 or 12 months has shifted further. But fortunately, there will still be things to talk about for the foreseeable future. And we will continue to knock wood that We've got stuff to chat about. Up next, it's time for our showrunner spotlight segment. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Number four. Our guests this week are Jesus Nice and the Kid Marrow, stars and executive producers of Showtime's Jesus and Marrow, which returns for its third season on January 31st. The Showtime series is the latest incarnation of a format that has taken them from podcasting to complex TV to Vice, and all the while, the brand has remained strong. Welcome to the podcast, Jesus and Marrow. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah! <laughs> so... <laughs> you guys haven't had a new episode since November, but in December you got a you got a pretty big sit down interview with uh, Mr. Barack Obama. When you get to sit down with a man who you have to address as president, does it still feel strange when he sits down with you and starts making very specific references to your lives and to your show? And it's clear that he really and truly knows you guys. I mean, before we, I got to correct you right there. You said you got to address him as president. I believe we called him Barry. I believe we called him Barry. That's that's just, <laughs> that that's just our homeboy for Chicago. You know the vibes. No, that was it was a it was a surreal experience. It was just like, but I also say at the same time, you're like, wait a minute. He has access to the FBI and the NSA, so he knows stuff about my life. I know he's gonna bring. I'm glad he brought up stuff everyone knows about my life. He could have really done a deep dive and exposed me on air. So I was like, just chill. Don't tell people what I was browsing last night on you know in incognito mode, Barry. Don't make it hot, but. Yeah. He could have been like, Meryl, you buried your cat in your backyard. Yeah. That's really creepy. 
that was just an amazing interview. It was just like, it was like, uh, felt like a bow on the year, you know, just to have just like a big, a per, uh, uh, just interviewing someone who has so much gravitas, but then also it was just such an easy interview. It was, it didn't feel nervous. It didn't feel high pressure. It really felt like talking. We're not allowed to call him our uncle. He said that. He said, stop calling me your uncle. It was like talking to uh, a contemporary at our job. So we'll leave it at that. How many people does he travel with? How, how much of an entourage or posse does Barack Obama have these days? It wasn't that wild. It actually was not that wild. It was like Secret Service and like, you know, maybe like a yeah. handful of people. It wasn't like MC Hammer right. level entourage at all. <laughs> and like, and he wasn't like a politician. It was, it was so wild too, because it was like, it wasn't like a political interview. Like a lot of politicians are real stiff and like very, speaking like really dumb cliches, like boring as, as fuck. But Barry came through, it was just like off rip. He was just like, you motherfuckers <laughs> suck at basketball. And he ripped yeah. the Knicks off the right rip. off the bat. Wow. And, oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, wow. Wow. And that was okay. Cool Thanks. He came Thanks. Because of COVID. Right. Uncle, because of COVID, Uncle. he couldn't roll as deep as he usually would. Neither could we. Like, you know, it was social distancing and limited. But he came through. He had his two guys just standing there letting us know that, you know, you act up. Something might happen to you. So, you know, was, that did keep us in check. But then after he took a couple of shots at the Knicks, I was like, you know what? I might have to rush him. I might have to run at him, you know? You know what? I might, I might have to die for my orange and blue life. I'm sorry. <laughs> Get Swiss cheesed up defending yes. the Knicks honor. <laughs> so now you had the interview with Obama and, you know, obviously it was in the same in the same room at, during COVID. So I'm sure there was testing like crazy. But oh, as yeah. you prepare for the return of the third season, are you guys going to be back in studio, back together like that with guests in studio? How much of this is going to be you guys navigating who feels comfortable social distancing in the same room versus doing it electronically? Well, it's tough. We're coming back. We're coming back uh, yeah. re like remotely because – you know, before we, you know, we, we, we sat down with the whole crew, you know what I mean? Like, cause we're, we're producers and not, you know, we like Pino, but we're not Pinos. We're not producers in name only. You know what I mean? Like we reached out to, you know, the heads of departments and like, Hey, do you feel comfortable coming back? Like, you know what I mean? Like edit bays are, are closed. There's no, not a lot of insulation, et cetera, et cetera. So just to have everybody feel comfortable and safe, like we, we, we stayed remote, you know what I mean? Cause it, at the end of the day, if, if you feel unsafe in your workplace, the product is going to suffer. So, you know what I mean? The the having everybody feel you know good and and uh, about what we're doing and and we get, we hit like a stride at the end of, mid season two too that like you know I feel like the two of us could kind of you know run a, a radio shack or something <laughs> at this point with all the wires and shit that we've been doing. Yeah, we sent an email to our crew. We sent an email to our crew at the beginning because we were like, yo, we could either go back to the studio or we could continue remote going virtual. And we just asked one question, which is how many of y'all like living? And then a lot of them said we do like living. And so, you know what? We decided we're going to go virtual. But no, it's like right now it's, it's unnecessary risk. We don't, you know, we love our staff. We're, we're, you're not going to hear in 10 years that we were hostile to our staff and throwing stuff at them. And I'm hitting my assistant with my Blackberry. Not like those are our staff is our family. We'd never want to put them in any kind of danger. The numbers are way too high still in New York. And if we even lost one production member, we'd be devastated. So we're still doing it virtually. And I mean, look, look, got the sneakers behind me. Miro got the new apartment. People like what we do virtually. And we're one of the few shows that actually, you know, like we, we kind of evolved into a different type of show over the course of the pandemic. And we just want to kind of keep that groove going and just keep people laughing on Sundays and Thursdays. 
how would you guys describe the difference that you guys evolved into? Because obviously so much of the show is the interplay between the two of you and the chemistry between the two of you. And it has to be different under these circumstances. What did you find in a different chemistry as the quarantine episodes progressed? Well, I find that this is uh, it feels kind of like, you know, everyone's using Zoom. Everyone's using Zoom all day, all day, you know, like you get tired of Zoom, Google Hangouts, all these v virtual meetings. But then you see me and Miro doing it, and it's kind of like we're the two bad kids in the classroom. You know what I'm saying? We're just cracking jokes, and we're just, if we if we did our show in your actual work Zoom meeting or Google Hangout meeting, no work would get done. Your boss would fire everyone. You'd be upset. You're like, why are they cracking jokes? But no, that's our lane. That's what we do so well. And you love to see that at the end of the day. It's just like, it's like... It would be weird if we were still in the studio and like the rest, everyone's still locked down in their house. And you're like, yo, I can't leave my house. But you're like, yo, they're still in their homes. They're still making it happen. This is reality. They're making comedy in a pandemic. And it's funny. And that's what we just want to keep doing. Yeah, man. That, that's the number one thing. I mean, like, the, I feel like the chemistry hasn't suffered. It, in initially, like, you know, with home setups and like internet being shaky and like weird stuff like that, like that, you know, kind of was a little monkey wrench. But then... We figured that out real quick, and then we were we were off to the races, you know. Because like you said, it's always been about the inter the interplay between the two of us, and I feel like that's the kind of an advantage that we have, you know what I mean? You know, compared to the rest of the landscape, because we're not dependent upon an audience's reaction, right? So like, I'll make a joke for Jesus. Jesus will make a joke for me, you know what I mean? Like, and the, the audience is just the the third person in the room, kind of like, yo, we're making this joke for you now, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just. That chemistry has always been there, and it's always been like I always call it joke tennis, just like going back and forth, you know, on a topic until we're just like, all right. Also, next you thing. have the overwhelming fear, like after a nice, robust one-hour recording session, you look down and you're like, "Did I press record?" <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Yo, yeah, yeah. you got to sound like the sixty people on the production staff. <laughs> you're like, "Hey, hey, guys, could we just use uh, the, the Zoom audio?" Um, and they're like, "No." Like, no, what do you, you didn't record the Stacey Abrams interview? I'm like, I, I, I forgot. I, I panicked. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was on Twitter. I'm uh, sorry. It was, a, it was a different tab. I'm sorry. Literally, literally me every time. I literally just checked exactly. to make sure that we were recording. That happens Yo, all the too. time. Yeah. I'm not even looking at you. That's what I'm looking down. I'm like, okay, okay, still recording. Good, 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 good. Switch back, okay, to, switch how, back to Google. How often and how literally did what you just described happen? <laughs> no, that's never. You know what? We had one day, and I don't know if it was Mercury was in retrograde or whatever. Fam, we started recording at one o'clock, at and then it was just like anything that could possibly go wrong technically went wrong. It was Murphy's just like law, bro. The charger wasn't fully plugged in, so then it was like my AirPods were dying, and then the Terror Deck wouldn't charge, and then the sync, like the servers wouldn't sync, and so you know everyone was like, "All right, we tried with the computers. We're gonna stop down at four. We're gonna stop down. Try again at four. Try again at four. More problems. Mirrors, Wi-Fi is going out. Um, my, I'm just having like the weirdest. I'm having like some sort of weird static issue on my computer, and now we're recording at like took six, and now it's just like we have to record. We have to pass it in the next day, <laughs> and that's the thing. You can't. It's not one of those things. We're like, oh, we tried. What do you want to do? It's like it's like no. Oops. You have to make the show. You guys have no. to make this happen. You got to deliver an episode, dog. Like we have, we can't run a rerun of like Homeland. Best tech team in the world. They <laughs> made it happen, and that's the other thing about Word. Showtime. They do not play around because they had sent me a MacBook, and like one of the first days of recording, I accidentally dropped the camera, and it fell and shattered the t uh, the touch bar on the MacBook. Showtime had a brand new, fully kitted out MacBook here in twenty minutes. I was like, yeah. 
I was like, and then okay. when it was just like, yo, then then we yeah, and then we upgraded like we upgraded cameras, and they were like, you know what? Let's yep. get IMAX in there, and then they sent motherfuckers in here yes. with hazmat suits to set up like Apple boxes and tape and all all this wild shit. Like it was not a game, bro. It was like soup, like like a mission. It was like some 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 place. You're walking 5 the streets shit. and you see them. They're like filming for Law and Order or some TV show. And you see the trailers and those heavy cables. Like that's right outside this room right now. Just all these heavy cables. I'm about to hire <laughs> some uh, union guys to stand out there with crafties. So I feel like you know, just like get the old feeling back. <laughs> Yeah, we're here. You know what I mean? Got the Teamsters on deck. Got the cheese exactly. sticks that I can't eat because I'm going to pee out my ass in an hour if I consume <laughs> them. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, nah, just to restore the feeling. I, I totally feel them. You know what I mean? Those those cables were making my basement a fire hazard. That's why I had to move. It was wild. Like, you know, you got coats sitting on top of outlets, sitting on top of wires. It was like, ah. And then my kids would come down here and try to play Spider-Man. I'm yeah, like, bro, saying, no, You're doing no. this while you're homeschooling for kids under the age of 10. <laughs> it was mayhem, dog. It was like the Royal Rumble. Like, if you ever just, like, go on YouTube and just pull up random time stamp of a Royal Rumble, that's what it was looking like in the crib all the time, 24 hours a day. That's crazy. Well, okay, so uh, before you came on, Jesus Merrill was talking about uh, how, basically, his hiatus was spent dealing with his kids and being mm -hmm. a father in these very strange times. What did you do during your quarantine? And do you ever just text Mero to make fun of him for the fact that you're not dealing with four kids under the age of 10? <laughs> no, nah, I got, I got, listen, <laughs> just because you don't got kids, I got a whole different set of problems. Like just everything with the pandemic and stuff. I've been doing um, charity over here. There's a, it's a fridge that you can, uh, you know, like one of those fridges for a community fridge to donate food and things like that. And I think, like, I didn't realize, I was like, oh, you just put chicken and stuff in there. And, like, no, there's very specific needs. Like, they need avocados. That's the big thing in my neighborhood. Like, because we have, like, a lot of uh, Mexican and international uh, immigrants in my neighborhood. So I've been trying to research an avocado plug to find for my fridge. And, like, it's it's not the same as, like, selling drugs. Like, you can't just go to someone like, yo, bro, you you got you to gotta plug on avocados. Like, you got to go legally and, like, try to make that work. But it's just, like... The pandemic, just being stuck inside, I've just been consuming, uh, just been consuming media, getting ready for the new season. So I've been watching possibly every possible show. I've been listening to possibly every song that is on the top 20 right now and watching music videos. And you understand as an older person how disorienting and troubling these music videos are because... These music videos are set up to really impress a 16-year-old, and as a someone who's not 16, it's very, you see different things. Like, they're like, oh, this is a wicked party, bro. I'm like, okay, you're over capacity. No one's wearing masks. Uh, where's the homeowner? Um, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Like, someone is skateboarding on the deck. I think that's China. You can't just, like, skateboard on China. It's, it changes your view of things. But thankfully, I have all these cultural references, and I cannot wait to start the show now because like I've watched Kajillionaire, I've watched The Flight Attendant, I've watched all these shows that are not in my wheelhouse so I can make those references. You know, I can't wait to get a old doily old reference in at uh, uh, Jesus and Mero. It's gonna be great and just have people like, yo, he studied, he studied. <laughs> so basically I've been in the gym, getting ready. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Binging Bridgerton, we out here. <laughs> Let's get it. So you do have the new season starting Sunday. Um, can you talk a little bit about, first of all, who's your first guest and how are you preparing to, how political are you going to be after, especially after coming, you know, back on after the election? Uh, you know what? Job done. We don't have to be political anymore. We got Trump done. We don't have to do any. Trump is out. Politics is done. 
That's it. Yes, racism is over. America is Politics back is to great. be its great old self. It's back. No, it's great again. You know what I'm saying? Like no, we, we made it. Uh, definitely, <laughs> our first guest, Stacey Abrams. You know what I'm saying? Doing a victory lap as she yep. should. Who we've had on before. So this is not like it's not like a you know like a cold turkey interview. That's not as we say, friend of the show. And friend of the show interviews are always better because people are comfortable interacting with us. And we've worked with Stacey Abrams on other other projects outside of the show. So the repertoire between us is perfect. But as far as political, we can't stop now. Like people come to our show. To see, you know, our views on politics. We've had Kamala on there. We've had Joe, President Joe Biden. We've had Obama. We've had Stacey Abrams. We've had so many people on. And people enjoy seeing these people outside of the MSNBC, uh, that's, that bubble of politics. They like seeing them interact with me and Mero. And we're going to continue to have people on as the, um, you know, as the occasion calls for it. Because, you know, like, it's going to, it's always a wild political time in America. And, you know, that's what our show reports on. It's not just booty videos and us making fun of goats biting other goats on the testicles. We have some social responsibility. That's right. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're citizens, so we perform our civic duty. You will get some dick jokes, but you will also get Bernie Sanders <laughs> yes. looking at sneakers. You know what I mean? <laughs> The human side of politicians. In the first season, you guys had, and into the second season as well, you had most of the Democrats who were running for president. When those people came in, who did you get the feeling had been best briefed on who you guys were, are and what you guys do and who kind of seemed like they came in perhaps a little bit more cold than probably they should have? Oh, good question. Um, Surprisingly, Joe Biden was really plugged in when he knew us. Like, and it was, I think the problem with that was before Biden, we did the Biden interview, there was a whole lead up about he has dementia. He doesn't know where he's at. Do you remember that when everyone was like kind of crafting him as Joe is lost out there? Sleepy Joe. Sleepy and Joe. Blah, blah, blah. And like, even when we posted that we were going to have Joe Biden on, people in the comments were like, I hope he can do a coherent sentence. I hope he stays awake. I hope he can remember you. And no, he completely great interview. And I think the best moment was at the end of the interview. You know, that weird moment with the end of the Zoom call when everyone's doing that weird wave and you're looking for the button. They're like, hey, bye. Before yeah. he clicked the button, he's talking to one of his assistants and he goes, oh, I really like those guys. Like very sincere, very not for the camera, not putting on air is like a very sincere and that, it, that was the feeling we got from interviewing him so that was really good but there was no you know what to be honest no politician really gave us the feeling that they didn't know us but at the same time you know they have political staffs that are going to give them the information and the, a lot of them right. do watch the show so they did know but we never there was never a moment where somebody was just like hey Jesus and I'm like no I'm I'm Jesus that's Miro like we have that. <laughs> yeah, exactly so Jesus, how are your kids? I'm like, oh, you know, like, then that's never happened. If they do that, I'm like, whoa, 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 what'd you hear? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What'd you hear? Well, that's whoa. not me. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. What's, what's going on here? The IRS hey, listen. is listening. Come on, I don't need these problems. The, the, they're not in the lower 40 states. They're not in the lower 48. Doesn't count. So, I mean, did you guys miss having a platform during the election cycle and during, like, you've, you've been off for mm -hmm. a few months now. So, you know, how much of this, of what you were going to see in the new season is, is your comments on what's already transpired versus just looking forward? That's a good question. You know what? We we'll probably definitely have to do a recap, but it reminds me a lot. We interviewed Jon Stewart and I asked him this question. Every time The Daily Show would go on hiatus, the world would fall apart. Like when The Daily Show was on hiatus, Hurricane Katrina happened. So it's that kind of thing. You, you miss these big events and you come back and you have to kind of touch on them. But there's other events happening, so you cannot really dwell that much on what happened. So we're going to, you know, we'll probably do a quick recap, talk about what happened. <laughs> but we got, I'm sure some new stuff is going to happen in, you know, when it's time to make the show. But definitely when, when we were on hiatus, it was, 
it was a it's a weird feeling watching the news and you're just like and you go on Twitter and people are like why are you on hiatus we want to know what you think about this and you're like yeah I wish I wish we had the show tonight but it's not happening because when that Capitol riot happened I was like me and Meryl ah! we would be pulling up from eighty with this shit you know what I mean but again like like Jesus said like it's it's, it's probably gonna start like you know previously on America yeah you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. But at the same time, you have obviously Showtime's a premium cable network, but everything is streaming right now. Um, Showtime is has a, a streaming service of its own. It's it, you know, its parent company, Viacom CBS, has a, a big platform that it's trying to broaden out. Have you talked about doing stuff like digital one offs? I mean, obviously, you had the big Obama interview and that in and of itself is a perfect standalone. But have you talked about doing like a daily hit for for a streaming service like like Paramount Plus, which is soon to be relaunched in March? I mean, we have our digital team, shout out to them. They keep, you know, like they're making content there and we're going to definitely increase how much content we're making in the next season. So some, maybe some of that ends up on uh, Paramount Plus. But we, I mean, that's something we're still in discussions about. Well, Mero, you know, Jesus was saying that he's been kind of researching and staying on top of everything for the last couple of months. Do you, because yeah. of all the responsibilities you have at home, do you sometimes find that things slip through the cracks and that you miss certain things in in the news and culture or whatever? Or or are you able to do both? Yeah, like it's it's not like as like it's kind of like Kobe and Shaq, right? Like how the, how Kobe's like, if Shaq worked out, we would have won 12 championships. Like, but regardless, like we, we still we, we still did it like I'm able to do it. But it's like, you know, it's kind of like you know, in a different, in a different way. It's not, it's definitely not as, 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 uh, exhaustive as these is. Cause like, I can't, like, I just don't have the bandwidth to like sit and watch, like, like binge a, a whole series or whatever. So like, I'll do like, I, you know, you know, I, I pick my spots. Like I know what's huge, right? Like the tight, like the Roy Jones, Tyson, Jake Paul whole situation, like that whole thing. Like I knew that was huge. I was like, y'all, you got to key into that. Like there's certain things that, you know, people are looking for your opinion on. And you just sort of like, okay, boom, that's that's on the radar, or like you know, a big events or anything that that's huge, that's that's making waves. You know what I mean? And I like I I live in my house, like everybody else, and I live on the toilet a lot, so I'm on Twitter like a lot. You know what I mean? Just like reading what's going on, and Twitter's like real time. Like, yo, this person just perished. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the second after like the certificate is signed. You know what I'm saying? So like. In that in that regard, like yeah. Definitely. So if you're tweeting, the kids should assume that you're probably on the toilet. Um, I'm absolutely. <laughs> if you see me tweeting, I am either shitting or waiting for a Zoom to start. <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? Like in transit, like somewhere, like you know, Heather's like, you know, I can't pick up a box of like you know Poland Spring bottles, so you have to come to the supermarket with me, and I'll be tweeting on the way to Shoprite. Um, speaking of shitting, um, <laughs> did you guys reach out to have Trump on the show when you had all the Democratic candidates on? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> uh, yeah, been an amazing, that would be an amazing interview, but it's, uh, no, that never went out. We might get him now because you got to think about like everything going on. He cannot tweet. You know how mad he must yeah. be? He must. Yeah, I, he I'm has thinking, so much pent up shit. Like he has, a, he has a brain full of drafts. He probably just has like <laughs> post-it notes and he's just putting them all around like this place in Florida, like for Baron and people to read them. But that would, I don't even know if he, you know what? He couldn't sit through the 60 Minutes interview. He could not get through an interview with us. Like, no that way. Because we're, we're, we're New Yorkers like it's him. Not, you know what I'm saying? Like we're New York. We'll be getting his ass like, yo, my man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever. Yo, Baron 6'10", why is he not in the AAU? 
Why is he not in the preps? Why, why is he not hooping right now? Like we spoke about earlier, like you really, you really think we can send a Zoom ID to Donald Trump? You really think we can get Donald Trump <laughs> to match his AirPods to the system audio and then record an OBS? Uh, <laughs> well, was the Obama interview was that kind of a, a Moby Dick, your white whale kind of thing? Was that was that something that seemed like sort of a pinnacle interview for you? And now that you've done it, do you have a sense of what the next interview that you'd kill to get would be? You know, it's funny, like people like that was the question, right? Like, you know, when, like when people ask you a question, well, what question are you tired of hearing? People are like, what's your what's your dream guest? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was always Obama. And now we've done Barry. You know what I mean? So it's just like, OK, like you said, who's what's the next like big get? And truthfully, it's just like, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who who could it be? Like, it has to be somebody's like, I don't do interviews like uh like a Beyonce or somebody like that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I, I don't typically go on late night and do interviews with people. Right. But I, I'll make an exception for you. That's fair. You know, when you have someone like Obama on and you have this, this great, you know, obviously the interview was fantastic and, and so lighthearted, but also, so, you know, it had so much just uh, there was fun and information in mm -hmm. there. It was like kind of like the best cross section. When you do an interview like that, how much does it help open the doors for booking other guests? I mean, I know for us, you know, for Dan and I, when, once we, you know, start getting big showrunners on, the, the doors start opening a little bit mm -hmm. easier. And it, it was a little easier to book guests today than it was a year ago when we were first starting and nobody knew who we were. I mean, nobody still knows who we are, but. Um, it's Leslie Goldberg and Dan Feinberg, y'all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, like, how much did, but how much did the Obama interview help you when it comes to booking other people on the show? Oh. Go, in season three. Anytime you do like a big name politician, that definitely helps because you get on the radar of their supporters, but then you also get on the radar of people who don't like that politician so they know it and even like an obama interview you start getting you know like using social media as the measurement you start seeing the obama interview pop up other places like places that showtime did in places so it's naturally going viral and then actually this is the sad part you start seeing it pop up and you're just like yo look at this cool interview obama did and it doesn't mention our name it doesn't mention the name of the show yeah. you're like come on like <laughs> even when obama was flaming the knicks and then you see like on like espn some other things they're like Obama went on some show and flamed the Knicks. They're like, no, he went on DZ. Yes! He went on DZ America yes! Showtime, season two. Get our name right. Yes. Number one show late night. That, that that actually pissed me off. That literally made me mad. Yeah. That actually, no, he's right. He's right. It actually pissed me off because they asked Tom Thibodeau's the new coach of the Knicks. Everybody knows we are diehard, salt of the earth Knicks fans. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Like, and they about. asked Tom Thibodeau, like, yo, you know, how do you, you know, the, the same exact question that DZ just said. Obama just said on some show, like, no, Obama said on Deezus and Merrill, the, 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 the champions of the Knicks, you know what I'm saying? Who, who have steadfastly held and defend them, regardless of what's going on in Brooklyn. That show, mention that show. We are the number one show later, <laughs> God damn it. Put some respect on our names. You know what I mean? And then that would have put us on Tom Thibodeau's radar, and maybe in the future, one of my children could be a prospect. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he, maybe he'll do the show. No, but <laughs> priorities. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll get him. We'll get he him. Tom, you can come on whatever you want. Any Nick could come on at any any given moment. Even, any moment. Even if Don't it's matter. the middle of a game, we will, we will yeah. interview you. We don't care. Yo, Kevin Knox, yo, yo, if you're not getting enough minutes, bro, you're sitting on the bench, come do the come show. Come through. Emmanuel, quickly, we got you. We got you. We got you, my guy. Point God. Okay, but. Honestly, though, when you guys started, it really did kind of feel like 
anybody could pop up on the show at any time, you know, like local activist, mm-hmm. random athlete, comedian no one had ever heard of, et cetera, who became big after that. Do you guys feel like you still have the same flexibility when it comes to guests? Are there people from early in the show, regulars who you miss, who you know you just couldn't have on right now? Well, you know what? The thing with that was when we first started, you have to remember, we used to do the show four four times a week. So the yeah. amount of guests you can have on there, that it, it changes it. It's like, instead of having like one big guest, it's like, yo, you gotta have four guests. And working with celebrity schedules, people with people are doing movies, people like having, like now that the pandemic is a little different, but you know, like having someone come to the studio, wait in the green room and just be there. The interview, like that, it was just too logistical to have that many people on. And then also when we first started, it was more of a matter, like it was a very bare bones production. And it was literally, as Meryl will say, like we were getting guests right from our phone. We were just texting our friends like, yo, do you want to, do you want to come on the show that, you know, like right now, a lot of people have not heard about or like, you know, you call a celebrity, they were like, we've never heard of you. And that has changed. But at the same time, you, we have, we still have our friends on the show when we have the, we have a, what is the digital hangouts where we just, invite friends and you'll go on there and yep. just be like seven celebrities that we don't they're not even celebrities though so they're just our friends it's like uh janice griffin bamani jones sarah j just people like that just chilling and so while they might not be on the main stage of the big show we'll do it on digital we'll do it on the others we'll have them on insta you know we we still we still fit our people in there there's no one no one's too small to be on the show so you've got stacy abrams on sunday what else can you say about who to expect uh well, is coming by for season three. Season three. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Let me see. We got Baby Yoda. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying. We got Godzilla is coming through to promote his movie. Uh, Wait, so you, you have Godzilla, but you don't have King Kong. Can you do that? You know what? No, King- we have King Kong, too. We have oh. King Kong, too. No, King it's, Kong- like a, it's like the Anderson, Cooper, Andy Cohen thing that we did. Yeah, the thing King is, Kong, Godzilla. King Kong is doing Fallon, so it's embargoed, so we can't have him on until he does that first. So, you know, it's just, oh, it's yeah, just a scheduling thing. You know, oh, you know yeah. how these Hollywood types yeah. are. You know, yeah. feels, feels like uh, you're taking a side, yeah. and that seems dangerous to me. So. Also, well, yeah. listen, I mean- well, listen, King, I, let's, let, you know, full, full transparency here. Let's be honest. King Kong and Godzilla are kind of divas. You know what I mean? Like, they've kind of like, you know, like, oh, I'm Godzilla. I'm King Kong. You know, like, I'm an icon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you mean they, their heads are too big to fit through they, the door? Yeah, even, for sure. So you got the heads too big. I mean, like, Godzilla, uh, King Kong's assistant was like, listen, remember what you were saying about the AirPods? He can't do them. He can't do them. So what are we going to yeah. do? So we got to figure yeah. that Sorry. out. You know, it's just a mess. They wanted to do it. Like, King Kong wanted to, like, hold both of us and climb the Empire State Building yeah, and do like, the interview so up there. We were like, come on, let's that's do something so, else. That's so corny, bro. Yeah. Also, it's not safe. I, like, are you wearing a also, mask? Also, you guys are in quarantine. You got to respect exactly. that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, how we can't green screen that. That's unfair. <laughs> we were very Nolan-esque in that respect. <laughs> yes. This is the best part of the interview when just no one's talking. They're just laughing. They're just laughing. <laughs> Love it. How how differently do you guys have to prepare when you have someone like a Dr. Fauci or something who you know has a serious message that they have to impart? You know, you want to you want them to be funny. You want them to be loose. You want them to feel like it's cool to be on your show. But they're also talking about a global pandemic and keeping people alive. Mm-hmm. How hard is that? Not hard at all. Not hard. It's the same interview. Super easy. Same. We go into yeah. every interview the same way. It's like, what does this person want to talk about? And how do we get this out of them without it being boring? 
So with Dr. Fauci, if you remember, that was the beginning of the pandemic. We knew nothing. And then it was just like, he came on our show and it wasn't just so much telling our audience stuff. It was like telling us stuff. Cause I remember asking, I was like, how do I tell if I have COVID versus having the allergies or hay fever? Cause you, I, you know, when I'm sneezing, I don't. And it, it, you know, even that, and back then, even doing that interview, you could kind of see he was caged. He couldn't say exactly, like we'd ask him questions and he was like, mm, uh, you know, yeah. so to see him now, like Whoa. being able you know. to smile and talk freely, that's totally different. But even at that time we were just like, oh, this guy, there's certain things we can't ask this guy. And if we ask him this, he might get in trouble. So even that, you know, like navigating that during an interview, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, who's Dr. Fauci? What's Dr. Fauci talking about? How can we present him in a light that's not going to be presented in other interviews? So that's why we're talking to him about growing up in Brooklyn, playing basketball, what he does is in his self-care, like, because he's having these long, stressful days. And that's kind of how we come at every interview. It's like, who is this person? And how can we present this person in a different angle than they've been presented in every other interview? Yeah, bullseye. You know what I'm saying? And like yeah. the the thing is, in that interview, you get to talk to Dr. Fauci and then you get to talk to Anthony from Brooklyn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in the same interview. Would you have him back on this? Season? Definitely. Oh, sure. Because also at the end of the interview, we said when the pandemic was over, we're going to go for a pasta dinner and the, pand the pandemic's not over. So maybe we do the pasta dinner over Zoom, you know? Yeah. I, we promised him Ann and Tony's and we will deliver. Yes. You mentioned earlier that in different incarnations, earlier incarnations of the show, you've done four nights a week, et cetera. Now, when you started off, it was one day a week. You've gone to two. There's been a little bit of shifting back and forth on days a couple times. How are you feeling right now about the literal format of the show? Do you feel like you'd want to do it more days a week? Do you feel like an hour is the thing you could imagine doing at any point, et cetera? Is, is it sort of set in stone at the moment for you in terms of what you guys are doing? Well, the way things are happening so quickly in the environment, we we were asking Showtime to just make us have a 24-7 stream and just record us constantly. Just just have the cameras yeah. open and we just just watch us die on camera. No, um, like Big Brother. No, like right now, it's again, shout out to Showtime. I think the idea, you know, you don't see other shows doing this. The idea of having two shows in a week kind of bookends everything. It's just like, yo, we caught this. And if we didn't catch it on the Sunday show, we'll catch it on the Thursday show. And that's more, I feel like that's enough. People want more. They want it four times a week. But you got to remember now we have like sketches. We have like other things going on. We have people have to edit the show, this production. We have some incredible animation stuff. So there's like behind the behind the scenes parts that, you know, we got to give people time to do stuff. So the four nights a week, it's like, all right, we got two nights a week. We, we're doing a good job now. We, we like what we got right now. You know what I mean? You can't cut the coke too much, you know what I mean? Because then it's going to be trash. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to be shitting all and so, day. And something the like day. the the sort of history of hip-hop episode, which is the other thing that you've done between last season and this season. Mm -hmm. You're... That's just... Yeah, DMFM. Well, that's, that's the sort of thing where it really does feel like a passion project for you guys. And it's not the kind of thing that mm -hmm. you do because it's going to blow up in the ratings or whatever. It's something you do because you want to do it. How much flexibility do you guys feel like you have to do other episodes like that in the future if you wanted to? Oh, I mean, they let us do DMFM. Like, if they let us do that, they'd be like, "Man, do you want to play Game Boy on camera for two hours? Go, go right ahead. Definitely, there's a budget because, like, you we, know what I mean. We presented the idea of DMFM, and they're just like, you know what? It was weird because they were just like, okay, some of these rappers are so old, I remember them, <laughs> and I don't think they're like, I don't think the new generation is gonna get it. But if you guys believe in this, we'll make it happen. And you know, it came out amazing, and people were just like, yeah. they they want another one. People were like, they want a regional one. They were like, why can't you do this every week? And it definitely was a passion project because who like, come on, you're sitting there talking to like rappers, like 
that sounds like the most boring thing ever. And we have like people in our mentions who are just like, yo, I do not know who any of these rappers are. But after watching that DMFM thing, I'm gonna Google them. I'm gonna go listen to them on Spotify. I didn't know about Sheila E's history, things like that. And that was the reason for it. It was, it was like kind of like a love letter to hip hop in New York City. And it definitely came through and people, you know, like we were really proud of that. It just, and then also shout out to Showtime, throwing the production budget out there, the way it came out, it really felt like a radio station. Yeah, yeah it was one of the cooler things we did last year. And like I said, it was a passion project. And we're definitely going to try to do another one. It was, and it was dope to like connect, make that connection, right? Between like the old school and like, there's a, there's a line from Sheila E to City Girls, you know what I mean? Like, and like kind of bridging that gap was dope. You know what I mean? So with so many aspirations that that expand and, you know, I'm curious, how much are you guys talking about expanding your brand as as producers? Obviously, you know, the show is is first and foremost, but are you looking to produce other series or uh, develop other talent, whether it be on, in the podcast space or for, for Showtime or for another platform? Like, how are you using your, your position now to help foster the career of others and then maybe the next generation? Oh, definitely. We're always looking, always on the look for like up and coming talent and trying to figure out what the next big thing for the brand is. Because we have our, we got our podcast, we got our Showtime show, we got the Tim's, we got the ice cream, we got the book. And it's just a natural extension of the Jesus and Meryl Bodega Boys universe. You know, find out who's going to be this person here and like who's up and coming that we can help support. Because... When we were coming up, you know, shout out to Charlemagne, shout out to uh, D. Ray Davis, all these people, these established comics, they saw us and they were just like, you know what? I know how to do this. Y'all don't know how to do this. I'm going to look out for y'all. I'm going to give you some pointers. I'm going to show you how to navigate this. And now that we know that, we're going to try to do that for the next generation. So we're definitely, uh, you know, we're definitely trying to get our producer hat on there and just find, you know, just keep extending what we're doing. Absolutely. I mean, you started obviously as a podcast, but who are the next voices in podcasting that our listeners should be checking out? Ooh. Uh, shout out to our guys, 95 South. That's uh, Chico Bean, uh, my man Carlos, 85. and DC5. 85 South, excuse me. Cool guys. We worked with them on Wildin' Out. They're super hot right now. Great. They're like Bodega Boy South. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else we got? There's so many good uh, podcasts out right yeah. now. Yo, that... you know, it's it's wild, too. Like, uh, Sorry to cut you off these, but like... How like A Rod made that kind of seamless transition from like baseball player to like analyst. Noriega has done like the same thing with podcasting. Like he made like a kind of like a seamless transition from like rapping to being a podcast host. And he, even though he doesn't ask like the greatest questions sometimes, it's just like a fun listen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so like getting into that and like the looseness that he gets stuff out of rappers, it's, it's kind of like the same approach that we have to interviewing where it's like we, we want to get a different interview than you would give, you know, on another, you know, show. And, like, Nori does that. And, like, um, All the Smoke, which is another, which is a Showtime podcast. Shout out to <laughs> Synergy. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same thing, but they do it with basketball. Like, they get stories out of basketball players that you wouldn't, like, it's frank conversation. You know what I'm saying? And that's, like, the best type of, like, podcasting. Yeah, I won't judge you for your A-Rod reference, though. <laughs> and then also, yo, shout out to, uh, she's on our show, our narrator, Julia Young, her and our good friend, Mike Carmelingo. Mike Carmelingo! They just launched a podcast, Java Good Morning, which we're biased because we were all on the same MTV2 show years ago, but they're yep. they're two of the funniest people that we know, and they remind us like, so much of ourselves, and that's a hilarious podcast. We also have, you know, she used to be on our show, Z-Way. She's, she's getting her own show there, so there's an example of us fostering new talent. And then there's a young comedian named Tawanda 
who I've been following forever on Twitter. And we just hired him on the show because, like, we love his vibe. We love, like, his point of view and just want to get him, you know, get him started in the industry and just get his, you know, feel him out. So that's the kind of thing. You see these people, you see their timeline, you're like, oh, okay, that would be a great fit for our show. And just constantly just keeping the show, you know, kind of fluid. Drafting people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the draft. Shout out to Rainy, too. How have you guys felt about having Showtime? You know, obviously you feel you feel great about Showtime as the parent company, I'm sure. Uh, but having the <laughs> having the various Showtime stars on the show, how have you felt you've done with keeping that organic, keeping it so that you're only having the Showtime people who are maybe on brand rather than just this person has a new Showtime show this week. You know, we're the house talk show. So come on in and promote your stuff. You don't want to be that, obviously. So how do you feel like you've balanced right. that? We don't really do that. We don't. There's never been. There's never been like, yo, here's some random person from a Showtime show you've never watched. You're, you have to have them on. Like, if someone's on our show, it's generally. It's like we know. We either know them or we watch the show. And you know, not even. Again, this is not paid for by Showtime. It's not me being a company guy. There are Showtime shows I really watch and enjoy. Like, um, Good Lord Bird that just came on. I. No one told me to watch it. I literally sat there from the first episode and was like, wow, this is an incredible show. And then we had Ethan Hawke on. And if you watch the, that interview, that's not like, hey, company that guys, was wild. what's it like yeah. working for Showtime? It's like, I, I had quite, I'm like, what about this in episode four? What was it? Where'd you shoot? How'd you do it? Where was the, you know, you got that kind of thing. And even now, you know, like that was just an amazing show. And we're still trying to get some of the characters that were on there on our show because that's the kind of thing that's the kind of natural synergy you want you don't want to see people like hey you know the worst is when you're just like hey this person is our interview today and full disclosure their show comes on showtime which is a parent company of you know that company guy. of yeah that's <laughs> like, so goofy you don't, you don't want to do that the boilerplate yeah, yeah. so yeah. you know it's it's all our interviews if you see someone on our show it's not because their publicist placed them there it's someone we want to have on the show someone we're interested in and someone we'd be proud of having an interview on our show with. Yeah, like Black Monday is a perfect example mm -hmm. of that Showtime thing that you're talking about. Like, we had Regina King, we had Don Cheadle, yep. but it was totally organic. We talked about, like, bumping into each other at Upfronts, or uh, not Upfronts. At TCAs. Uh, at TCAs? Yeah. At TCAs, yeah. And, like, you know, and all that type of stuff. And, like, you know, Regina was just like, oh, good luck with your little show. You know what I mean? That whole run that we had, that riff. That was, you know what I mean? Like, it's organic. And it wasn't like Showtime being like, hey, we have this show coming on, so you have to have these people on. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> Signed Showtime president. You know what I mean? Now, moving towards wrapping things up, I believe that as of this second, if the NBA season were to end today, the Knicks would be in the playoffs. How That's how, right. That's how, right. how nervous are you to even say anything like that out loud? I'm not nervous at all because not they got all. that 10th seed playing shit where you could like, it's like a wild card game for the NBA finally. So even if the Knicks finish in 10th, we still got a shot. Okay. Let's go. Not nervous because you know what being a Knicks fan means? It means ignoring reason and logic. Last night. That's right. I was watching that game. <laughs> I was watching the Knicks play. And you know what? They were down by 20 points at halftime. And everyone on the yep. timeline was like, I'm not watching this. I'm going to turn and watch something else. And I said, no. Because as a Nick fan, no. you know what the best part of a Nick fan, being a Nick fan is when they do that fake comeback and don't pull it off and just rip your heart off yep. in the fourth quarter. And I said, That's right. let's get ready, boys. And I sat there. That's right. And they brought it within four with 10 seconds left. And they couldn't get it because of a stupid flagrant foul. And I sat there like, you stupid idiot. You did this again. You did this to yourself. And you know what? And you know what? I'll be there in two nights to do it again. Yeah. That's right. Nick's and it doesn't matter. Let's go, baby. Because the... 
the the motto in the in the Martinez household is if the Knicks cover, they won. <laughs> there you go. And they covered last night, there so they go. won. We're gonna raise that you know banner in Madison Square Garden. Let's go. The Knicks cover the spread. Listen. Dude, after three years of having Dave Roberts rip my heart out, throw it on the floor, and stomp all over it yeah. in the playoffs, uh-huh. I'll take an asterisk Vic- yeah. championship. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no asterisk. So, ta- enjoy that. LA, you deserve that. I feel actually, as a New Yorker, I feel sorry for LA that y'all did not get to really, like, you know what I'm saying? And, and like, marinate on winning the World Series and an NBA championship yeah. in the same yeah. year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's huge. You know what I'm saying? That's like what's in the gen- like that, that might not ever happen again in your lifetime. You know what I'm saying? So you 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 I got mean, twice that. in mine, '88. Nice. Well, we do like to wrap our interviews with the same question um, for all of our guests. What are you guys watching and enjoying? Ooh, what are we watching and enjoying? What was I watching? Um, let me see. <laughs> oh God! Let me let me just say. Let me just get it out. Let me just get out because this is gonna cook me. This is gonna cook Here me. Here we go. Here we go. I re- I randomly stumbled upon this, this this random show called Kingdom about uh, this guy, you know, like you guys, uh, I, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar, it stars like some guy, I don't even know his name. Like the only person who, who, who I remember, who I know from the cast is Nick Jonas. And it's like an MMA family and like, you know, it's, a, it's like a total broverload, you know what I'm saying? But like... It sucked me in, you know what I'm saying? And like I watched the all two two three seasons. You know what I'm saying? Me and Heather just sitting there watching it, like drink getting drunk off, you know, good decent wine. 90 points or better. Holla at your boy. And uh, but yeah, no, that that one, and then like, you know, ra- just like random stuff that you think is new, but it's not. Cause like you said, there's so many streaming services picking up stuff that you'll catch a show and be like, oh, this looks interesting. Oh, this is from 2013. Yeah, and it and launched only, on Direct TV. Yeah. yeah, it's an AT and T original. What is that? Yeah, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I've been watching. I've watched so much stuff. It's all blurring together now. But let me see what I can remember. Okay, Industry really enjoyed that. The Flight Attendant enjoyed that. Tiny Pretty Things, Lupin, Doom Patrol. Uh, let me see what else. Just I've been watching. Like basically, if Netflix, if it's on the opening screen of Netflix, I'm watching it. Like. Net, yeah, yeah. We're all we at the we're at that pandemic level where Netflix, Amazon, and HBO Max are like, I have nothing left. You've watched everything I own. They're they're like, I'm at the point now. I'm bringing up stuff on Amazon. They're like, wait, we have that? Are you sure? Like, I, are you sure we have that? You can see when you you click watch, and it's just like a delay, and it's like you just hear them. But you can actually hear them through the computer. Like, find the file. I don't, no one's watched that since 03. I don't What's know, dude. What's going What's on? Going Buffering. on? <laughs> it's buffering. I don't know. What's this? I don't know. Just it's, just play something. It's, it's, so I don't know. It's, it, it stars Bokeem Woodbine. Just play it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, just just watching everything. Oh, Your Honor on Showtime. So, and I'm, you know what? I, I Showtime's not going to like. They didn't show a new episode yesterday. I'm like, what's going on, guys? I was going to beef, but then I was like, you know what? Maybe that's not smart for me to do. Maybe I'll just be quiet. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thank you guys so much for joining us. Deezus and Marrow airs Sundays and Thursday nights at 11 p.m. on Showtime, returning January 31st. Thank hey, you so much. Thanks for having us. You know what I'm saying? Dr. Leslie Ow. and Daniel. By the way, it's Leslie and Daniel. You know the you vibes. You know what I'm saying? You know the fucking vibes. Hollywood Reporter, let's fucking go. Number five. As usual, we wrap things up with the Critics Corner. 
Dan, we just talked about the quote-unquote wasteland that is the February TV calendar. So new releases this week are a little stretchy. Uh, obviously, we just talked about the return of Deezus and Marrow. You've got The Investigation as well as The Lady and the Dale on HBO, Firefly Lane on Netflix. Not a lot. What you got? It's a little it's a little thin and uh, reviews for HBO's The Investigation, which is a Scandinavian import, have been have been mixed. Our colleague Ingu Kang was not a big fan. Um, so taking that with some caution. On the other hand, Ingu was a big fan of The Lady in the Dale, which premieres on Friday on HBO. And it's really, really good. It is a, a four episode documentary series about a trans woman who attempted to turn the car industry upside down with a gas-efficient three-wheel car in the mid to late 70s, but who also was part of a multi-state, multi-decade web of cons and fraud. And that's just where the story begins. Uh, it, it is a very, very catchy story, very well told. In my Now See This newsletter this week, I said that it was kind of... God, it's hard to describe what it is. It's sort of McMillions meets Tucker meets uh, Netflix's Disclosure documentary. It, it is a bunch of different things. It's sometimes a little bit wacky. It's very empathetic. Um, it's told with real personality and style. There are a lot of reenactments that are delivered in a kind of collage animated style that's very funny and very likable. Uh, I I really enjoyed uh, The Lady in the Dale. I, I thought it was a, a good watch. It was probably exactly the correct length. It's four episodes and... You know, how frequently do you watch one of these true crime type documentary series and go, my God, that was six episodes too long? Or in the case of all of these Nexium documentaries, my God, I can't believe it was already six episodes too long and they're giving it a second season. Uh, this at four episodes is really and truly it's the right length for this story. And I, I found it fascinating. Um Netflix has We Are the Brooklyn Saints premiering on Friday, and it's it's the latest in an apparently never ending string of amateur sports documentary series kind of in the vein of Last Chance You. I understand that there were football documentary series before Last Chance You. Obviously, Hard Knocks is kind of the progenitor of the genre, but Hard Knocks is about professionals. You know, the heart of Hard Knocks has always been with the players who were sort of on the cusp of the league and the people who were trying to make the cut and all of that. But it is still professionals, whereas Last Chance U focused on junior college players, focused on amateurs, people who basically for whom the NFL was really a pipe dream. And yet they still believed it was a possibility. Well, this is even younger. This is kids eight to 13 in Brooklyn playing in a rec league that is sort of a a oasis from the crime-ridden neighborhoods where they live in their part of Brooklyn. And the, the football aspect of the story, not so much with the convincing or good, but the human side of it is very appealing. And again, it's only four episodes and none of them are over 50 minutes. So if you're sort of tentative on the genre, this would be one that would not overstay its welcome. Um, but yeah, it's 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 not my favorite in this genre. I, I still always tell people that they should be watching Last Chance You because it's fantastic. Last Chance You to some degree spawned Cheer, which has sort of behind the scenes 
issues and reasons why it's a little problematic, but still a really good season of television. Um, and at some point this spring, TBD, we're eventually going to get the long gestating Last Chance U college basketball spinoff. And I am really looking forward to that one, both because I'm looking forward to it and because it's time to give more different sports the Last Chance U treatment. So there are a couple things. It is it is a little bit of a slow weekend, though. So maybe this is the time to catch up again on the pen. There you go. Well, for more of Dan's weekly recommendations, be sure to subscribe to THR's Now See This newsletter. This feels like a good place to wrap things up, Dan. Thanks for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. Be sure to subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little reviewy thing. It does help spread the word of mouth. We're always happy to chat with you guys on Twitter. If you have questions, comments, concerns, suggestions for new formats, etc., etc. If you have questions for future mailbag segments, though, you can email us at TV's top five at THR.com. That's TV's top five, the number five at THR.com. And if you're a fan of You're the Worst, I'll be moderating a reunion to benefit Feeding America with a cast on Sunday, January 31st. Check out play-purview.com slash events for more details. Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.